0: It's episode 37 of the Concrete Radio Podcast. My name is O.G. Eastwood. Now, throughout the years, we've seen the advancement of technology from walking the street with huge boomboxes to Walkmans and now streaming your favorite artists from your cell phone. But there's a particular form of technology that's rapidly growing, artificial intelligence or A.I., AI has become common in the tech space, and even the godfather of AI left a lucrative position at Google to warn the public of the dangers of the technology. Stay with us as we discuss what AI is and how it can possibly cause a negative impact to our lives. And later in the program, we'll talk about an epidemic that's crippling our nation, mass shootings. We're not even halfway through the year, and we've already seen more mass shootings than actual days of the year. Join us as we unpack the root cause of these shootings and what we can do to prevent more tragedies while keeping your family and loved ones safe. It's the Concrete Radio Podcast. Entertain, educate, and inform. Welcome back. This is the Concrete Radio Podcast, episode 37. Thank you very much for tuning in, whether if you checking me out on the website, theconcreteradiopodcast.com. I definitely want to give a big shout out to everyone that's been locking in, all my friends out on the West Coast, Long Beach. I saw you heavy on the check-in on the last episode. I appreciate that. L.A., Seattle, Portland, Oregon phoenix shout out to phoenix i've been hearing a lot of good things about phoenix man so i definitely want to go and check that out one day um dallas texas you're heavy on the check-in once again shout out to you and the folks in allen i want to send my condolences to those that lost either a family member friend or an acquaintance in a horrible mass shooting that occurred in allen texas At that mall. Um, we're actually going to talk about that later on as well. So make sure that you stick around for that. And, um, I can't forget my folks back home right here in Brooklyn. I appreciate the checkout long, uh, the check in Long Island. I appreciate you. Of course, the tri state going down south to Florida, Miami, overseas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the love. Now just want to give y'all a heads up. Normally I talk about three different topics throughout the program but today I want to start off and have a whole different vibe so I just want y'all to rock with me. Now the reason why I'm switching it up a bit today is because there's a lot that's going on in this country right now and one thing specifically I want to touch on and I want to make sure that we cover the basis on this a hundred percent And as effective as possible. So that's why I'm honing in on two different topics on this podcast. We're definitely going to talk about the AI situation. I mean, of course that that's big. And as mentioned in the opening mass shootings, that's a topic that we definitely have to touch on because there's a lot that's been going on. As mentioned in the opening, we're not even halfway through the year and we have already got more mass shootings than actual days of the year. So I'm gonna let that sink in for a bit. We're not halfway through the year yet. And we've already got more mass shootings than actual days of the year. It's a really big thing and and at some point as a country and as a collective, we have to find a way on how we can control this and most of all, put a stop to it because it's too many lives that's being lost. In this situation, I feel like with everything that's been going on, rather than us uniting as a country, we're going back and forth between two separate parties who oppose guns and who are for guns. And while they both fight, people are dying at the end of the day. So sometimes you just have to put certain beliefs and things like that to the side and come up with a solution collectively to figure out what we're going to do. To put an end to this. Because it's crazy. It needs to stop. Before we continue. I want to give some RIPs. To two key people we've lost. Celebrities that is. Just recently. Not too long ago. The famous actor slash singer slash activist. Harry Belafonte has passed away. At his New York home of heart failure. Belafonte is so huge. In our progress as a society, really, because he was one of the first people that rocked out back in 1963 with uh, Martin Luther King. He actually organized the march where Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech. Belafonte was also credited for popularizing Calypso in America with songs like The Banana Boat, Matilda, Matilda. And if you don't know what the Banana Boat song is, that's the song that rang off in the movie Beetlejuice. Most importantly, Belafonte was known for breaking racial barriers in Hollywood. And he used his stardom to change the way African-Americans were portrayed on television. Because as you recall, prior to Belafonte coming on TV or being on TV, there were imagery of African-Americans being portrayed as what we would call coons. So he helped normalize the way. African-Americans should be portrayed on TV. Mr. Belafonte was 96 when he passed away. Another person that we've lost was uh, Jerry Springer. Not only was he the king of talk show, but he was also the king of messiness. Jerry Springer created the blueprint for what Ratchet TV is today. And when I say Ratchet TV, I'm talking about TV that doesn't make sense, love and hip hop and real housewives and jersey shore and all these crazy nonsensical shows people in general just like drama and messiness and the common excuse that i hear from people sometimes is that i work hard and when i go home i just want to put on tv and and just watch other people suffer and go through some messiness and for me i'm like So you enjoy your life by watching other people go through drama. Even though that these quote unquote reality shows are passed off as reality, they're scripted. You can't just freestyle a TV show. Doesn't work that way. There has to be a script or whatever the case is. So if you really thought that reality shows were 100% real, oops, I'm sorry, I busted your bubble. My bad. The fact of the matter is these shows are not technically reality shows, right? These network execs, they put something out there, have people just consume it and go crazy and get ignorant, what have you. But either way, Jerry Springer, um, he passed away at his home in Chicago of pancreatic cancer. And at one point in his career, he actually averaged over 3 million viewers per airing. And as mentioned before, he innovated the new style of television by highlighting all the craziness and off-the-wall behavior by his guests. Him, in addition with, Je- um, with Jenny Jones, they both sort of broke that mold of what talk show daytime talk show was. Back then, actually, we used to leave school early to get home and watch the Jerry Springer show. And we all watched it just for fights. Can't say that I'm into that type of thing now, but of course, I mean, a lot of people still enjoy it, and you got to give props to that man that for creating that blueprint. I mean, he literally was the only person that would interview a Klansman and a black activist at the same time. He would be the type of person that would interview someone that's coming out the closet for the first time, and a person that's extremely homophobic. He would put these two people on the stage and expect them to talk it out, which, you know, if you're going for a certain crowd, more than likely that talking out thing, it ain't gonna happen. Big RIP to Jerry Springer and Harry Belafonte. Both gentlemen has contributed a lot to our society, whether if you look at it in a positive way or a negative way. At the end of the day, there were a lot of people and a lot of jobs that were created with their contributions to uh, society. So we definitely would miss them both. Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon actually were out of their respective jobs at uh, Fox News and CNN. The Tucker Carlson thing I'm going to touch on specifically, only because Tucker has reached an, a huge mass of viewers In such a short period of time. And what's so interesting about this. Is that CNN who once proclaimed to be a right wing television. Pardon me. Which proclaimed to be a left wing network. They're now interestingly enough. Leaning towards the right. uh, With with some of the commentary they release as of recent. So that's going to be interesting now to see. What CNN will be doing in terms of, of that pivot. With Don Lemon out. And Tucker Carlson out from uh, Fox News. What also made this Tucker Carlson exit so interesting is that the basis of it stemmed from a few different things. At the time of his termination, that came one week after a seven hundred and eighty seven million dollar. Let me clarify. Seven hundred and eighty seven point five million dollar settlement between Fox and Dominion Voting System. Now, Dominion Voting System is a machine, a voting machine company. Dominion had accused Fox of knowingly pushing false conspiracy theories that the voting machine company rigged the 2020 presidential election in Biden's favor. Now, in February, Dominion filed court documents With emails and text messages and other private communication from Fox personnel, even Tucker Carlson himself personally. Now, the communication doubted the claims on Dominion. It contradicted what Fox News was telling their listeners. So what that means is that behind the scenes, Tucker and his producer had separate conversations about the voting machine company. When Tucker was sharing some that information with his producer, he claimed that the whole Dominion thing is crazy. It's absurd. And another text message from, from Tucker's producer admitted that he don't think that there's evidence of voter fraud that swung the election. So everybody felt, especially the ones that were reporting the news, they felt like there was no foul play. Everything was fair game. But again, once those microphones and the cameras came on, it was a whole different situation. So either way, he felt like Tucker felt like everything was false. He still got on the camera, faked the funk. And not only that, the man also had an interview with Donald Trump. And at one point during the January 6th insurrection, he actually called Donald Trump a demonic force and a destroyer. In a text message that he sent to the same producer that he was having these conversations with. Tucker actually just recently talked about releasing his show on Twitter because, according to him, it's basically the only place that you can speak freely about anything. We'll see what happens with that. It's the Concrete Radio Podcast, entertain, educate, and inform. Make sure you stick around later on. We will be talking about gun violence or these mass shootings. What can we do to stop them and protect you and your family and keep them safe? But coming up next, Artificial intelligence, this technology has been growing rapidly, so fast to the point where the godfather of AI, his name is Jeffrey Hinton, he left a lucrative position at Google just to warn the public about the possible or the potential dangers that artificial intelligence can cause us as a society. So stick around for that. That's coming up next. Is the Concrete Radio Podcast, entertain, educate, and inform. Welcome back to the Concrete Radio Podcast. My name is OG Eastwood. Feel free to shoot me an email, OG Eastwood at theconcreteradiopodcast.com, or you can go ahead and check us out on the website, theconcreteradiopodcast.com. And of course, you can catch the Concrete Radio Podcast on all streaming services. Now, artificial intelligence has been a part of our lives for decades. Some of the earliest usage of AI dates back to 1951 when a programmer named Christopher Strachey wrote code for a game of checkers. By the following year, 1952, the program was able to play a full game of checkers at a reasonable speed. Now, as time went on, AI technology advanced, especially when it came to leisure. Now, take visual concepts NBA 2K, for instance. If your team is running the same offensive scheme, the game's AI adjusts their defense accordingly. So that screen and roll to find Steph Curry open for a corner three, that may no longer work. Now in the real world, AI has developed into a tool that became convenient to the point where we can't live our lives without it. The phrase, hey Siri, has been a popular command amongst Apple users. Amazon's Alexa is set up to be your personal DJ and private secretary. And even streaming services like Spotify and Tidal is on the AI algorithm bandwagon by curating daily playlists based on your music history. Now, if that's not enough, Audi, BMW and Tesla are all competing to create a fully autonomous self-driving vehicle. Now, these are vehicles that require no human intervention. OpenAI's ChatGPT recently made headlines with the program's ability to create song lyrics with the same cadence of your favorite artist. Additionally, there's various AI programs that can take the same song and perform it in an artist's voice and delivery. So music stars such as Jay-Z, Drake, Kendrick Lamar has all been recreated through AI. And even music icons who passed away are being duplicated. Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, Jimi Hendrix, just to name a few. While we seem to be fascinated by the growth of the technology, industry professionals are raising concern. Jeffrey Hinton, who's known as the godfather of AI, has quit his job at Google to raise awareness of the potential danger of AI. Now, to be honest, I can't say I blame him either not only that there's a violation to the code of ethics when it comes to the music business, but there's also a safety concern. Because think about it. If cars are self-driving, what happens when there's a glitch in the computer system during a family road trip? That sounds tragic, but this is one example of what could possibly happen if you have a self-driving vehicle. As we look into the background of AI Right now, where we at is that AI is set to grow 54% every year. There's three different types of AI. There's weak AI, which focuses on one task and can learn any intellectual task that a human can learn. There's strong AI. Strong AI can understand and learn any intellectual task that a human can. And then there's super AI. Super AI surpasses human intelligence and can perform tasks better than humans now super ai is specifically what a lot of people are afraid of why are so many people afraid of ai in the workplace here's the deal studies already show that ai tools can boost employee productivity and save companies over 12 hours per week Those hours will translate into dollars. And of course, every company's goal is to get as much production going with the least amount of manpower as possible. So, for instance, customer service agents at a Fortune 500 company got their work done 14% faster using AI. New hires who used AI worked as effective as an employee who had six months. Of experience. So you're basically transferring a new hire's work pace into someone who has been on the job for six months. Now, can this be a threat to less tech savvy employees? Of course. What does it mean for the Gen X and the younger boomers who's on the last leg of their career? A lot of them are still working. And unfortunately, a lot of boomers and a lot of Gen X. They have somewhat of a difficult time keeping up with the changes of technology. Now, a lot of them are very tech savvy, but at the same time, too, we're talking about folks who are accustomed to using typewriters and fax machines and things like that, going through a Rolodex to find a contact, you know, that type of thing. So... Once you put a tool in front of a person that has been, been in the workforce for a very long time and isn't really tech savvy, you put a tool like Microsoft Excel, PowerPoint, they're going to struggle to understand what's, how to use that. There's basic formulas in Excel that some boomers can't really understand how to use. Right. So it, it becomes these things become very important. And unfortunately, as technology advances, especially within the workforce, the number one thing that you have to focus on is adaptability. Adaptability, and it's not as easy as it sounds, because again, a company's focus is to pump out as much production in a short period of time. So now, if you're a boomer, if you're a Gen X, and you're still trying to figure out a simple formula. And you've been trying to figure that out for maybe three days. By the time you turn around, that project is due tomorrow and you have several hours of work in front of you. And now you have no way or or scope to understand how to get it done with the rapid growing A.I., you can easily see and understand why major corporations may want to utilize A.I. instead of continuing to keep a person that's been with the company for a very long time now this is no knock to the gen xers or the baby boomers at all all i'm saying is that at some point in your career you have to understand that technology advanced so rapidly that it can potentially put your job in jeopardy perfect example out here in new york they replace the token booth clerks with machines so now if you're in New York City, you're visiting the city, you can no longer go to those little token booth clerks and buy a MetroCard or refill your MetroCard. There will be in the station, though, however, offering customer service. But now check this out. There are maps and all this fancy technologies in a lot of train stations now that can tell you the same information that you would want to get from a token booth agent. The thing is with this, and this is just me looking at the big picture and looking at it from a perspective of a company that that wants to save money. In the matter of maybe say, I don't know the exact number, but I would probably estimate maybe within the next five years. I highly doubt that you'll see a ticket agent in any subway going forward. They already have police in subway stations, so that covers the safety aspect. Now, if you want to get around, you can always purchase a MetroCard from the MetroCard machine. And if you want to take a look and see how many stops until your next stop, all you have to do is just look up. And there's one of those little monitors that tell you the train is coming in two minutes. Train is coming in five minutes. At some point, the MTA will figure out that ticket agents and should you even call them ticket agents because they're not providing tickets anymore. But anyway, that I, I digress. But, you know, it, it, it becomes that. So a lot of people may end up losing their jobs behind this. Artificial intelligence is also creating music. If you appreciate Jay-Z's music, you can actually YouTube a song, a constructed song, in AI that features Jay-Z's voice and Kendrick Lamar's voice. I've also even came across a song generated in AI with Biggie Smalls covering New York State of Mind by Nas. So this technology has gotten to the point where if the artist wants, he don't even have to record anything. Maybe he can just go in a booth or have somebody, one of his, you know, engineers or what have you type up something in AI. And boom, there you go. You have that record already. It's written. It's pre-written. It sounds like you the lyrics, the delivery, the cadence, everything is similar to that rapper. So imagine going out and purchasing, well, people don't purchase albums anymore. I'm sorry. I'm sounding like I'm stuck in the in the 2000s. But um imagine streaming your favorite artist, right? And you have the mindset that yeah, Drake just recorded this song last night or Taylor Swift was just in the studio with The Weeknd and she created a masterpiece. Here it is. And you're thinking that you're listening to a Taylor Swift featuring The Weeknd. And it's all AI. It's not real. It's a fake record. But it has Taylor Swift's voice and The Weeknd's vocals. That's the power of AI today. And ChatGPT is the same exact thing. It's similar. Not the same thing, but similar. AI bots, they're writing books and paragraphs and things like that, literally changing the face of technology. And going back to Jeffrey Hinton, who, who quit Google not too long ago, he's actually the G, uh, chat GPT de- developer. He said in an interview with the New York Times that he left Google so he can talk freely about the dangers of AI without impacting the company. Now, one of his concerns is the rapid growth of AI and how difficult it is to determine what's real and what's not, which goes back to the example that I used previously with Taylor Swift and The Weeknd. This can create so much drama and headaches that we're not, who's to say that we'll be prepared for it? This is how deadly and serious this AI business could be. Anyone can go online and create a speech from a popular person and have it like this person was the most racist homophobic person in the entire world and they dug it up and they put it out for public consumption. Now you're going to have to determine how was this, you know, recorded, where did it come from? And I get it. I'm pretty sure that there's a way for you to figure it out, but it's going to create a lot of controversy and it's going to trend like crazy. Picture this. Somebody was to go and they dug up and they typed in some Barack Obama racist speech. And lo and behold, some type of artificial intelligence in Barack's voice is talking about racist and homophobic things. So imagine now that's something that he's going to have to clean up. And it just creates a mess. We've seen and we've heard movies about Robots and artificial intelligence and things like that taking over the world. But imagine in a situation like this, what happens? Going back to the job market, even Hinton also predicts that AI could disrupt the job market. IBM, they already announced that it expects to replace almost 8,000 employees with artificial intelligence. 8,000 employees at IBM, which is a major corporation, may be losing their job pretty soon to a robot. These are the things that we talked about years ago or things that we we feared years ago back when 2000 was about to hit. You know, remember that Y2K scare? Everyone thought that, Comput- well, in this case, it was opposite, actually. Everyone thought that computers were going to shut down and bank accounts were going to be depleted because, you know, the clock, it, it, it doesn't recognize anything past 2000 or, two, or 1999 or what have you. And it just created this whole scare. I remember at one point, actually, and big shout out to my pops and R P to him. He actually wrote a piece and submitted it to The New York Times and it was actually published. Because he was big on the whole Y2K scare. But anyway, just imagine that technology and the influence that technology has on our day-to-day lives. And something as easy as AI, something that we create that we can also make it smarter than us, has the potential of running the world, really, and taking away jobs. Let me know your thoughts. Shoot me an email, OG eastwood, at the concrete radio podcast.com. That's O G E A Z T W O O D at the concrete radio podcast.com. Shoot me a line. Let me know how you feel about this AI technology. If you had something, have something that you want to add, please let me know. Make sure you stick around to Concrete Radio podcast. Coming up next, I will be talking about mass shootings. What can we do to prevent them? All right. Stick around to Concrete Radio podcast entertain, educate, and inform. Welcome back to the Concrete Radio Podcast. My name is O.G. Eastwood. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to shoot me an email, O.G. Eastwood at Podcast.com. You can always check me out on all streaming services, or if you like, you can just visit the website, TheConcreteRadioPodcast.com. We're going to talk about mass shootings, but before I do that, I want to discuss something real quick because it all ties in at the end of the day. About a week ago or maybe two weeks ago, there was a young man by the name of Jordan Neely, who was a 30 year old street performer who was choked out on a train here in New York City by a passenger. Now, according to witnesses, the incident started when Neely got on the train and he started yelling. He wasn't yelling at someone specifically. But he was yelling, saying things like, I have no food or water. But he didn't ask anyone for anything. He also said that he's tired and he doesn't care if he goes to jail. Now, some of the things that he was saying, even though it wasn't directed to any one person in particular, it got people a bit nervous. You know, and they started moving away from him, and out of the blue, without saying a word, an ex Marine by the name of Daniel Penny. He came from behind. He started choking out Neely. They both fell to the floor and Penny kept that chokehold on Neely and he just kept it going. Now a witness was able to catch everything on video. And the actual video of the chokehold was about 4 minutes, but they estimated that he was holding Neely in the chokehold for over 10 minutes, I'm hearing 15 minutes. You know, it could be more, it could be less or what have you. Now, two minutes in that recorded video, there was a man that got on a train and he warned Penny, the person that was choking out Neely, that the chokehold may be fatal. So be careful. When Daniel Penny finally released Neely, Neely was unconscious. Now, Jordan Neely was taken to a local hospital where the medical examiner determined his death. Was caused by a compression on his neck, i.e., Penny choked him out until he died. Now, a little bit on Neely's background. Jordan Neely was a Michael Jackson impersonator. He was always, he was mostly over there on the uh, 34th Street, Herald Square station, which is like the B line and, and D line or what have you. Getting into his background, his mother was strangled by her boyfriend back in 2007 and her body was left in a suitcase right off the West Side Highway. Jordan Neely actually testified during that trial and answered questions directly from his mother's killer. Now, during the testimony, the killer kept on referring to himself in, in the third person, but Neely wasn't having that. He held his mother's killer accountable by bringing him back and saying, nope, you're the one that did XYZ. And Now, according to family members, ever since the death of Neely's mother, Neely developed some serious mental health issues. Things such as depression, schizophrenia, PTSD, and he didn't get the help that he needed. As a result, Neely was arrested 40 times. And the last arrest he had was back in 2021 for hitting a 67-year-old woman in the face. He also had a warrant at the time of his death after failing to comply with terms of alternative to incarceration program after he pled guilty to another assault. Here's the thing. Mentally unstable people in public places and in major cities are common occurrences. These issues happen in train stations, subway platforms, trains, office buildings. Now, not saying that it's right and it's okay for a person that's mentally unstable to become threatening or violent towards a person. But these are things that happen. Now, with police presence in the city subway station, crime has reportedly dropped 22% versus last year and 41% versus 2020. At the same time, mental health continues to be a huge factor in all common spaces when someone is experiencing a mental health episode, it makes you wonder what's the best course action. You know, mass shootings are on the rise so far. We're at 202. We're going to get into that later. Some of the things to keep in mind, which we just have to stay alert. Think about when do we intervene? Because, again, people that are on the train just yelling and not yelling at a person in particular, but just yelling and maybe creating a, a disturbance. Maybe you don't just creep up behind them and put them in a fatal chokehold. Maybe we serve you right and serve everybody right for you to notify a, a, a train attendant, you know, a, a um, conductor, maybe a, a police officer, somebody that would be there to de-escalate the situation rather than trying to act on your own. What does the intervention look like? Do we sit there? Do we approach a person with hostility or do we try to talk them off the ledge? Do we get professionals involved? Because at the same time, too, you don't want to put yourself at risk or anyone else by approaching someone that's acting unstable. You don't know what they might have on them. So you might have to approach the situation with some type of apprehension. There is another situation that some people may consider in. And in this case, this is what Daniel Penny did is the vigilante approach. And the crazy thing about this is that there are some people that are actually bigging up Daniel Penny for doing what he did, for choking out a person that was suffering from a mental health episode. They're calling him a hero because he saved a bunch of people. Back in the 80s, in 84 specifically, there was a man named Bernhard Goetz. Bernhard Goetz shot four black teens in a New York City train After they allegedly try to rob him. I told this story at one point. A previous episode. So I'm not going to get into all the details. Or what have you. But I'm just giving you the gist. As to what occurred. And why people may look at the vigilante approach. As something that may be effective. Now Bernhard gets shot. Four black teens on a a New York City uh, train. Because he thought that they were going to rob him. The kids survived. But one of them was left paralyzed. Now Getz eventually turned himself in and was charged with attempted murder, assault, and reckless endangerments. Those are the charges that he was facing as he turned himself in. After trial, and everything was done, Getz was found guilty of gun possession and served an eight-month sentence because he already served time. Because of this, he was called the subway vigilante. Using this example, it's one thing to defend yourself against somebody that's trying to rob you. But it's another thing when you just creep up some, behind someone and put them in a, a chokehold because they're saying threatening things. How powerful are those words? Sometimes you just have to be in a situation where you have to read the room, understand what's happening. Sometimes violence isn't necessary if a person is just using words. Or if you feel like something bad could possibly happen, maybe you remove yourself from the situation and go consult someone that's trained to handle people that's coming off in a threatening manner. But one thing that you don't get to do is murder them. And now up to this day, we're still waiting for what's going to happen with Daniel Penny. Because no one really knows. All they know is that he killed this man. There were protests that were going on. And there needs to be accountability. It doesn't matter when it comes to race at this time. But is what are we going to do with this particular situation? Not only that, most importantly, it makes you wonder how we should proceed when we're faced with a situation where there's someone that's suffering from mental health episode And that's coming off in a threatening way. Me, personally, I dealt with a similar situation like that. And I get it. The Things things happen so fast, but again, it's all about reading your room. To keep a long story short, this person was experiencing an episode uh, with a bout of mental health. And they were walking towards me and they had... Something in their hand, they threw it on the floor, and they came at me like they were about to do something. But I found the strength and the power in me to realize, like, listen, this person is not well. So let me back away. And I stepped away from the situation. That person wasn't hurt, and I wasn't hurt. But it happens. And sometimes you just have to think on your feet. Let me know your thoughts. Shoot me an email. OG Eastwood at the Concrete Radio Podcast.com. Stay tuned. I'll be talking about the mass shootings next. What can we do to prevent further tragedies from happening? And most importantly, how can we keep your friends, your family, and loved ones safe? It's Concrete Radio Podcasts. Entertain, educate, and inform. Welcome back to the Concrete Radio Podcast. My name is OG Eastwood. I appreciate you for tuning in. As we get into this mass shooting segment, I'm going to paint a picture and I need you to follow me as I describe this event. At 11:10 a.m., a gray Honda Civic pulls up in the school parking lot, followed by a black BMW shortly after. Both students hopped out before entering the building. The owner of the Honda Civic holds a conversation with another student who just so happened to be walking by. At the end of the conversation, the owner of the Honda tells the student that he should leave because he likes him. Without giving it much thought, the kid obliged. Nine minutes later, 1119, while positioned at the top steps of the high school, dressed in black trench coats, both teenagers of the vehicles mentioned earlier opened fire on every student possible. The mayhem continued for almost 50 minutes. At the end, there were 13 students dead before the gunmen committed suicide. The events described sounds like a... Tarantino film, but these were actual events that took place on April 20th, 1999 at Columbine High School located in Littleton, Colorado. That day marked the worst school shooting in America's history. But it doesn't stop there. Since the Columbine shooting, 175 people have been killed in mass shootings at schools. Institutions such as Sandy Hook, Virginia Tech, And the most recent Uvalde has sparked headlines and triggered a calling for stricter gun laws and the banning of assault rifles. Now, unfortunately, the debate of gun control has served a political talking point, creating division in our country, with one side supporting gun ownership while the other side opposes. So far in 2023, 13,825 people have been killed in gun violence. And looking at the numbers, it's easy to say that guns are the problem, but guns are far from the problem. It's the people. Blaming guns as the main contributor for gun violence is not only irresponsible, but it's no different than blaming a car manufacturer when a drunk driver commits vehicular homicide. Both the gun and the vehicle are tools used by a human. And if either one is used in a reckless manner, then guess what? Bad things happen. Now, for years, we dealt with the same issue with no real resolution. Every few years, multiple states jump on the assault weapon ban, which seems counterintuitive to the real issue. Restricting the type of guns available to the public is not as effective as restricting the type of people who access these guns. For example, a felon cannot own or possess a gun in the U.S. Obviously, that's the way it should be, right? Keeping guns out the hands of those who are most likely to cause harm to others is sensible. In theory, this concept should also apply to those who suffer from mental illnesses. So the question remains, what are we going to do about guns? According to the FBI, mass shooting is an event where one or more individuals are actively engaged in killing or attempting to kill people in a populated area. The FBI did not set a minimum number of casualties to qualify an event as a mass shooting, but the Investigative Assistance for Violent Crimes Act of 2012 defines a mass shooting as three or more people killed in a single incident. Now, at the time of this recording, there's been more mass shootings than actual days in 2023. According to the gunviolencearchive.org, There's been 202 mass shootings in 2023. 276 people so far have been killed in mass shootings with 792 injured. There's been 93 children that's been killed in mass shootings and 526 teens killed. What are we doing about these guns? Me personally, I'll say that guns necessarily doesn't need to be banned. We probably don't need to ban assault rifles, things like that. What I think that should happen, though, for one, we need more law enforcement at public facilities. And the public facilities that I'm talking about, we're talking about schools, churches, any area of worship, malls, anywhere that children and elderly consistently occupy those spaces. These are people that are not 100% equipped to defend themselves. So we need a strong presence of law enforcement in those areas. Is it weird for a child to go to school every morning and see a few police officers in his or her school facility? Yeah, it could be. But you know what? At the end of the day, guess what? At least that would be a deterrent to anyone that has a plan on shooting up a school. Doing that, in my opinion, would also try to bridge the gap and and help out with community work that police officers are trying to do, especially in larger cities like New York, Philly, Boston, things like that. They're trying to increase the police presence in high crime neighborhood, not just police officers stopping bad guys, but to create some type of rapport. I get it. It's not always going to work, but it's something. Churches. We need police prisons at churches, law enforcement, somebody that's there that can help out. Malls. We all saw what happened in Allen just a few weeks ago. And if we're talking about this being an issue that would spend a lot of money and there's just too much resources dedicated to fighting mass shootings in America, which, of course, you have to dedicate the resources to that. If anyone is complaining about that, keep in mind, we already allocated $115 billion to help out Ukraine in a war that we have not stepped foot in to fight nobody. $115 billion. Those funds could have easily been used, easily been used right here in America to battle the problems that we're having within our country. What needs to happen is that people that are interested in buying assault rifles, they should undergo some type of psych evaluation. The evaluation should be done by a third party affiliated with the gun store, not a personal psychiatrist, not a personal therapist, nobody that's personal to you that you've dealt with in the past. It should be a complete unbiased third party. Now this situation is not ideal this is not where we want to go, but at the end of the day, there needs to be further evaluation on people that are purchasing guns, assault rifles specifically. Because think about it, if you're a gun advocate and you have a couple of handguns in your house to protect your home, which you have a, a, a right to do, it's easier and effective to stop somebody that's breaking into your home with a handgun with multiple rounds. And you do your thing. You don't, I don't know if you necessarily need an AK or an AR 15 to shoot up your whole house when somebody's breaking in. That's just my thoughts. So, what needs to happen, our current administration and whoever's up next need to implement this, and this needs to be a serious thing. It's not that we're taking away our gun rights or anything like that. What we're doing is that we're making it sensible to obtain firearms, because a person with a lengthy history of mental health issues probably shouldn't be owning an AK-47 at all. And even if these things just pop up out of the blue, then at least there's that evaluation that you went through prior to purchasing the firearm. Within that time frame, as you go through the the evaluation, I get it. It's going to take longer. You want your assault rifle today. I get it. But guess what? That is not going to happen unless we want to continue to boost this 202 mass shootings that's been happening so far in 2023. It's crazy that right now in this day and age that we have more mass shootings than we have the amount of days so far in the year. There's been times that we've had multiple mass shootings in one day. I've seen instances where we had four shootings or sometimes even more. So at what point as a country do we put aside our selfish behavior and our selfish thoughts of saying, oh, I must have this AK, I must have this assault rifle, I must have this AR, and think about the others that we can protect by limiting who have access to these weapons. Now, I'm not saying that this will eliminate mass shootings altogether, but at least we know that the people that are obtaining these firearms are not the ones that are going through some bout of mental health that they feel that they have to take everybody with them. Don't get me wrong. I want people to enjoy themselves with the hobbies that they have, gun collecting and things like that. But until we get a grasp on how we can protect our children, our family, our friends, our loved ones from further mass shootings, something as simple as limiting better yet restricting who gets these weapons will be a big win for the both of us and this is something that we all need to consider at some point because at the end of the day it's not just about us we have to look out for others as well it's the concrete radio podcast i appreciate everyone for tuning in be sure to catch me on every single streaming services out there. If you want, you can also find me on the website, Podcast.com. And while you're at it, feel free to shoot me an email, O-G-Eastwood, O-G-E-A-Z-T-W-O-O-D, at theconcreteratedpodcast.com. I'll respond to your messages. If you have any suggestions, anything that you'd like to add, please do so. Also, I want you to please continue to keep sharing this program. Tell your friends to tell a friend, have everybody lock in. I definitely want the audience to continue to grow as we've been doing. I appreciate all the love and the support that I've gotten in uh, episode 36. That one was hands down the highest download episode ever of the Concrete Radio Podcast. That was a conspiracy episode. So if you have a chance and you haven't listened to it yet, please go back and check it out. I'm sure that you will like it. Boston was on the check-in very heavy with that because one of the persons one of the people i spoke about was uh john f kennedy who's from the boston area but once again i appreciate your time until next time ladies and gentlemen be safe it's the concrete radio podcast.com entertain educate inform and i'm out